0: Good morning, church. No, I am not Pastor Woody. Your Pastor Hank. For any of you who are thinking that, um, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Ryan Glenn. I serve as the chair of the church board, and today I come with a, an exciting announcement. Uh, the church board church board has voted, and we have decided to extend the offer of senior pastor to Pastor Hank. Uh, this being when Woody decides to to transition into retirement uh, in summer of 2019, um, Church Board uh, undertook a, a thoughtful and very prayerful process in considering many different options um, during this for this transition from uh, from Pastor Woody to a new senior pastor, and we truly believe that God has placed a call of leadership on Pastor Hank's life, and we believe that that call is here at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. Um, This is not the end of this process, this is only the beginning, and Church Board has a lot of work to do to consider the the impacts of this transition, um, both on staff uh, as well as other aspects of of this church. Um, So we continue to ask for your prayer uh, and your encouragement in this process, specifically for Hank and Woody and the rest of the pastoral team, uh, and specifically Church Board, um, as as we consider the impacts of this transition. Um, This is a a wonderful step in our ongoing journey as a diverse, urban, multicultural, and multi-ethnic congregation. And today is a day of celebration. And now we're going to have a message from our bishop, Brian Hoke.
1: Greetings, Harrisburg BIC. This is Brian Hoke. I'm the bishop of the Atlantic Conference, the family of churches, of which Harrisburg is a vital part. I am grateful to be with you this morning, although obviously it's via video, to follow up on the announcement that was just made on behalf of your church board by the board chair, and it is exciting for me to do so. I am grateful to have been a part of this process, uh, having been with you at your congregational council when you all talked together about this proposal of transition and leadership uh, with your board, an interview with Pastor Hank and then just following up with them in terms of procedures of how to move forward and how to do this within the Brethren in Christ and for you as a local congregation. I'm excited with you that your church has decided to offer the position of senior pastor once Pastor Woody moves on into retirement to Hank Johnson. It is exciting to me also to have heard from Hank, and heard of his commitment, for he and Shell to your community, uh, not only as a church, but really the Harrisburg community. To me, it just is an extension of what has already been taking place there, what has already been happening at Harrisburg BIC. So thanks for having me as a part of the process and valuing the larger church family as you all are processing locally. I also just wanna affirm you as a church I don't know if you realize this, but across the landscape of the Brethren of Christ Church, particularly in the Atlantic Conference, and I don't even think it's just across the Brethren of Christ, you are very unique in terms of the way you are approaching ministry in a city, also the way you are approaching ministry from a multicultural aspect. I'm just so excited to serve with you all and excited for what has been happening, what's happening currently among you, and what will happen particularly now that, as you know, how you're moving forward in senior leadership in the years ahead. I continue to pray for you all and am grateful to serve alongside you. Thanks again for allowing me a few moments in the midst of this exciting morning.
2: I did want to say before I get started that, uh, again, tomorrow night in prayer, there will be... um, It's free-flowing. It will be informal. We're just going to see what the Spirit says to us tomorrow night. Uh, Zach Maser will lead us in some worship. I will lead the the, the service. It may last 15 minutes. It may last an hour. Who knows? Uh, But if we want to hear from the Lord, we just want to take time, especially in the light of recent events and events this morning, to just sit down and say, Lord, we're listening and share and be together in the Spirit and pray for specific things. In our scripture, the scripture I'm going to read, is Proverbs 29, 18. And it, uh, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. The literal word there is where there is no revelation, where there is no word from God, people as a group. People as individuals, they perish. They wander all over the place aimlessly, and in the end, there is destruction. Vision has driven this church for the last 19 years. Many of you know how we receive this vision from God. Nineteen years ago, I felt our church was at a crossroads. We were a a small, practically all-white church in a neighborhood that was primarily filled with people of color and getting more colorful. The only person we had in our church who was a person of color was was Brenda. Remember Brenda? I miss Brenda. Yet we were not reaching our community with the good news. I saw that we either needed to get in or get out of Harrisburg. We can no longer be an island of white folks commuting into the city. We were not relating well to our community. And sooner or later, as a church, if you're a commuter church, sooner or later, you're going to begin to stagnate and die if you're not connecting to your community. And to be honest, I thought we were going to get out. But the Lord first led us to something revolutionary. He said, pray. After all, Christ is the head of the church, is He not? I think it's good to check in with the head of the church every now and then just to see what he'd like us to do. Don't you think we ought to do that? So we prayed for a year and nothing happened. And one day I was talking to Louis Dudo, our outreach pastor, before Pastor Cedra. I was frustrated. I told Lou, We've been praying for a year and nothing has happened. And then I pointed my finger up to the ceiling in front of Lou, and I said, we're trying to do your will. How about a little help down here? And while my finger was still in the air, there was a knock at the door. It was James Roach, an African-American man whose family lived a half block from the church. He asked if we had a minute, and I said yes. And then he proceeded to tell us that his wife Mary had been praying for some time, and God told her and... and that she and James were to come to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church, become members and serve the Lord here. I still had my finger in the air. Was that all right with us? And of course, being eloquent, I went, uh, 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 yeah. (laughs) James left. Lou and I laughed. We felt like Sarah when she learned she was going to have a baby when a baby seemed impossible. By the way, in my office, I have pictures Almost all of them are pictures of me and my family. But I have two pictures that are not of me and my family. One is a portrait that somebody painted and gave me for my birthday of me playing Tiger Woods in golf in the US Open, and I am winning. That is predominantly on my wall. The other picture in my office is of Mary Roach. It's the biggest picture in my office. And she looks down at my desk, and every now and then I say, Thank you, Mary, for obeying the Lord. Thank you, Mary, for letting the Lord use you. By the way, her daughter Crystal was here this morning because we told her that we were going to be celebrating the life of Mary. After that, we as a church realized that we had heard from God, and everything began to change. We hired some woman named Cedra to be on staff. By the way, i got to tell you, this Wednesday after the election, Cedra walked up and started hitting me, and I said, you're hitting the wrong white man. Say <laughs> Then we hired some guy named Bart to lead a gospel choir. And word got out in our colorful community that the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church was becoming colorful itself. Pastor Cedra gave us a credibility we'd never had before. She really did. By the way, you know, there were times people would come in and they would go, Oh, you know, particularly people, they come in and go, Oh, we loved your service. We love your preaching. And then they would walk over to Pastor Cedra and go, Are they for real? (laughs) Was I surprised that God took us the way he took us? You bet. But a hallmark of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is like the wind. And you don't know what direction the wind is going to blow. If you're not surprised by God every now and then, then you're not walking in the Spirit. God is more creative, more innovative than we can imagine. I would have never believed a Southern boy raised in the racist South, born to openly bigoted parents, would end up above the Mason Dixon line leading a multi ethnic, multi racial, multicultural urban church. I am surprised to be here. And by the way, while I'm on this point, there's a whole bunch of you surprised too. You didn't think you'd end up here either. But that's how our God works. I want to affirm and honor, by the way, some of you old-timers who have lived through multiple changes that would have split most churches. We have made so many major changes, and yet here we are together. Your openness to the Spirit... Your willingness to change is part of the reason God could use us in the way He has. I love you and consider it a privilege to be your pastor. I didn't say that in the first service because you're better. No, I'm kidding. I said it in the first service too. (laughs) That's my wife blessing me. And, uh, And what we are and how God has led us by the way has never been more necessary. We are called in our vision to be an urban, diverse, holistic, partnering partnering church. And in a racist society, Christ's church alone only can heal what's going on. My belief is that one day Christ will use us, this church, to help the larger church be a reconciling agent in this fragmented world. Because the evangelical church in America has been the silent partner in this nation accepting racism. The church, especially evangelicals, do not treat racism as the profoundly spiritual problem it is. It's a government problem. It's a legal problem. It's a social problem. It's an education problem. No, it's our problem, the Church of Jesus Christ problem. Only a little over 3% of the church in the United States is addressing the problem and trying to reflect the diversity of Christ's kingdom in their own sanctuaries. This church is important. We are called to help Christ's body be a part of the solution instead of part of the problem. We are called to demonstrate heaven here on earth. We are called to be, as Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, the blessed community. Now we are in transition. I am retiring in a little over two and a half years as senior pastor of this church. In other words, I'm going to be here about as long as a Southern pa- Baptist pastor usually gets to stay anyway. Let me say that again, I'm going to get to stay here about as long as a Southern Baptist usually gets to stay at the, uh, any church. It was, it was funny in my head. anyway. <laughs> So the question is this, what's going to happen? What about the vision Christ gave us? Where are we headed? Part of the answer to those questions came when a young man named Hank Johnson showed up here nine years ago. Hank fell in love with Shell, his wife, and then he fell in love with the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. After one year here, he became our youth pastor. And during his eight years as youth pastor, his role has expanded. He now leads us in Christian education. He leads us in spiritual formation ministries. He leads us in our small group ministries. He administrates and leads us in worship and more. He chairs an independent ministry, which helps small churches in the central Pennsylvania region outside of the Brethren in Christ. Last year, he was the assistant moderator of the Atlantic Regional Conference, and he's been on the Atlantic Regional Conference board for years. He is a teacher sometimes at Messiah College, and he mentors Messiah College students, and I could go on. When I saw and worked with Hank for a few years, I saw a part of God's future for this church. The preaching gifts are there. The wisdom beyond his years are there. His heart for this church and its vision is unquestioned. I've watched Hank grow. You know, Pastor Cedra was the first North, uh, African-American woman licensed in North America in the 238 years history of this, of this denomination. She made history. And then Pauline Pfeiffer who is also the first woman bishop in the history of the Brethren in Christ denomination. She's a member of this church. And Hank is the first African-American man ordained in North America in the 238-year history of the Brethren in Christ Church. He too is a history maker. I, the church board, the staff, the bishop of our conference, after prayer and dialogue with a lot of you, have discerned Hank should be the next senior pastor of this church. You may be asking, why are we doing this process so far ahead of time? Almost three years ahead of time. We don't do anything ahead of time. (laughs) To be truthful, part of the reason is because other churches and ministries Have tried to steal Hank from us. Once, right in front of me, in front of our staff at General Conference, they tried to hire him. You know, our people were standing there. They were Canadian. Preacher poachers from up north. The nerve. I think we need to build a wall. Anyway, (laughs) Hank has been invited to California. I had to rebuke people there. He's been invited to other places in Pennsylvania. But Hank wanted to stay here. And if we have any sense, we want him to stay here too. Plus, to be honest, I didn't believe someone from outside this congregation could grasp this church's culture and the ethos like Hank. You know, if we invited a new pastor in, it would take years for them to really get it, wouldn't it? And by then, who knows what damage could have been done. And selfishly, I'm going to be honest about that too, I didn't want to see God's vision and my life's work blown up by bringing in an unknown person and hoping it worked out. You don't pour almost 40 years into something and go, oh my gosh, what happened? During the discernment process, the staff and board read a book on pastoral transition and an article by a church in Erie, Pennsylvania, that had the same exact dynamics as us. They were urban, they were diverse, multiracial. They had a pastor of 40 years retiring and a young, qualified pastor on staff who succeeded him. And to be honest, that's influenced us. The path we are following is the same as theirs because they are like looking in the mirror. So let me conclude this way When Hank takes over as senior pastor, He will be older than I was when I took over as senior pastor by eight years. I was 28 years old. He'll be 36. And he'll be more experienced than me in many ways than when I first came. With the knowledge of this church that has come from being here for nine years. Many of you weren't here when I came here 36 and a half years ago. And this may surprise you. But I was not always the spiritual giant you see before you now. Some of you may remember. Some of you may remember in the distant past when I would make off-the-wall remarks or have questionable humor from the pulpit. You may remember that when it happened years ago or last week. But anyway, by the way, I do hope to be around here as part-time staff after I retire as senior pastor for a few years to help the church adjust to the transition, to help the transfer be less painful and smoother. That's part of the Erie model I told you about, as well as what other churches have done. So here's my final plea to you. Give Hank the same chance you gave me. 36 years ago. Give Hank time to sense God's leading as much time as you gave me. Give him time to grow as a young senior pastor as much time as you gave me. God has great plans for this church and Hank is a part of those plans. What exactly will God lead Hank to do? I know God's not Retracting the vision we've been given, the vision stays the same. But what ministries and goals and specific directions will God take Pastor Hank in this church? The honest answer is, I don't know. And guess what? He doesn't exactly know either. That information is God's and God's alone for now. But this I know, God will lead And he will lead Pastor Hank in the days and years to come like he did the previous senior pastor. Tony Campalo tells how he attended a black church in Philadelphia. And the senior pastor of 40 years died. I can relate to that. I've died many times in the last 40. Never mind. And a young associate was promoted to the role of senior pastor in that church. And one worried parishioner said, Will our next senior pastor be great? And a wise old saint replied, Yes, he'll be great. And the worried parishioner said, How do you know that? And the wizened old saint said, I know he's going to be great because we're going to make him great. With your prayers, your support, your wise counsel, Your job is to make the next senior pastor great at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. And I believe that that is exactly what is going to happen in the years to come. Come on up, Hank. God bless you.
3: Yeah, I always hate introductions because you can't follow it. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) Um, With a humble heart, a boundless joy, faith in Jesus our Christ and faith in you, love of God and love of each of you, I graciously stand before you all, led by God and confirmed by the Spirit, confirmed by you, our family, our church board, our pastoral staff, and even our bishop and denomination. I accept the call and blessing to be our next senior pastor here at Harrisburg BIC. (laughs) Please sit. Love you too. I'm just going to. If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, this morning, I want you all to imagine with me a world where no one is an outsider who gets left behind by the masses. Imagine a world where people are not defined only by their differences. Imagine a world where what binds us together is stronger than all the things that pull us apart. Imagine a world where we live, where we love, where we work. Like we are actually members of one another. Like we are actually the body of Christ. And together, the family of God. Amen? Amen? Can you imagine that world? Especially this week? Can you imagine a world like that? Paul challenges us to not just imagine such a world, but to live, but to love, and to work to make that world our reality. Beginning in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, we read, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In this passage, Paul is again pleading his case. To a church at Corinth, now known more for their squabbles and their discord, he preaches a message of reconciliation. To a family becoming increasingly more known and being divided because of their differences, he preaches a message of reconciliation. And to a church that lived to be known more by earthly heritage, more by blood or family, more by traditions or, or which godly leader you served and followed. Paul calls the church back then and we the church today to back to our heavenly heritage. Back to the blood of Christ that unites all of us. Back to the faith that sustains us. And back to Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer. Paul's defense here is simple. It begins with this vow that he feared the Lord and that he lived and ministered to them and before God with a sincere heart and with a clear conscience. He reminded his audience not to concern themselves or to confuse him with those who focus on outward appearances and those who seek and work for earthly praise. Paul ministered to please God. He was so sure of it that he calls out his detractors. He says, if they call me insane or out of my mind, just know I work for God. And if you know, you know I'm already in my right mind. You know because I work for you all. You know it because it is the love of Christ that compels us. We are compelled to live for God and one another because Jesus has come. We are compelled to love God and to love one another because that's how our Jesus lived. We are compelled to serve God and to serve one another because our Jesus died. Because our Jesus was raised, not for one, but for all. Not only for Jew, but for Gentiles. And not for all of us who've already believed or all of us who will believe. Jesus died for all. Amen? And now before returning to glory to prepare heaven for his disciples, those of us who believe and follow him, Jesus has committed to us the message, the ministry of reconciliation. God calls us to be reconcilers. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be reconciled to God and also reconciled to each other. We are reconciled when we live and love God and each other. We are reconciled when we live in love like Jesus, not just in our relationship with God, but also with each other. We are called to be reconcilers, amen? Amen. According to the Google, to reconcile is to restore relations between. To reconcile is to cause to coexist in harmony. God's first people called this harmony shalom, shalom. We are called to live in and to make shalom. The idea for reconciliation, then, has always been more than just peace. It has always been about restoration. Our Father God reconciled us to himself through Christ his Son. This means that Jesus came to make things right. He came, he lived, he died, he was raised again, he's alive, he's seated on the throne so that we can be in right relationship with God. But sisters and brothers, please hear this because this is what we miss. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was raised again. He sits in glory so that we can be reconciled to one another. Amen? Amen. And please hear that. Because in these United States for 400 years, we've all missed that. In these United States for 400 years, we have not taken up this mantle of reconciliation. And Pastor Woody said 3% of churches we still are not taking up this message of reconciliation. Because you see, reconciliation means being right with God and right with each other. But it also identifies us not just as female or male. No, we are sisters and brothers in the family of God. Reconciliation identifies us not simply by our race or ethnicity, no, 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 no. We are the chosen ones from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language. Reconciliation on unearths that we are no longer poor or rich as defined by the society of the world around us. No, we are the children of the king. Our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our father is the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one who came and said, my kingdom is here, but it's also coming. He's the one who proudly and lovingly calls us his children to welcome all his children back home again. Oh, and especially this last week. Reconciliation says that we are not Republicans or Democrats. Reconciliation says that we are not conservatives or liberals. Reconciliation says we're not with her or with him. Reconciliation says that we don't live, we don't breathe, we don't fight with our every breath for America or its empire. Because our history books tell us what? Empires come and go. Empires die. But we live, we work, we fight for Christ's kingdom. For Christ's kingdom. For Christ's kingdom. We are reconcilers, amen? So in this world that lives to divide and keep us divided, we must be the reconcilers who bridge the gap. In this world where darkness is so easy to see, it's so easy to feel, But the darkness is so easy to ensnare not only us, but everything and everyone around us. We must be the reconcilers shining our light. We must be the reconcilers taking our light into the very darkness. We must be the reconcilers who actually listen to our Christ, who says, you are the light of the world. I'm talking about reconciliation and us being reconcilers this morning because I believe that is the heart of God. I believe it's the heart of his vision for us here at Harrisburg BIC. And I know in my heart, it's who he's called us to be. It's who he's called us to be in the past. It's who he's called us to be right now. And it's who he'll call us to be in the future. Again, for the most part, we understand Jesus makes it possible to be in right relationship with God. However, we often forget that Jesus went to Calvary so that we can be in right and restored relationship with one another. This is the full ministry of reconciliation. So who have we been called to be? We have been called to be a thriving, diverse, urban church serving the needs of our global and local communities. This means that we have been and will continue to be a church of reconcilers that chooses holistic reconciliation that is led by the Spirit, that as I look around this room, is led from people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every color that our Harrisburg has to offer. We're going to be a church that serves, but is also served by our neighbors. We're going to be a church that with the Spirit's power, with our Father's vision, and with Christ as King, we're going to be a church that reaches and sees people where they are, but pulls them up, to where God desires them to be. We are reconcilers, amen? Amen. So who are we called to be? Reconcilers. This means that every single one of us, not yesterday, not tomorrow, no today. For my Bible and your Bible says, today is the day of salvation. So that means not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Every single one of us is called right now, in this moment, in your seat, up on this pulpit. We are all called to be witnesses of our Christ who lives and loves. We are all called that with all our breath, with all our fight, to work and make disciples of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven what we read from isaiah's vision what we see in john's revelation is what our christ prayed on earth as it is in heaven we are called to do the work amen Amen. so if this is who we are called to be the only question now is what are you doing who are you living to proclaim the truth that jesus has come that Jesus lived, that Jesus loved, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus is alive. Who are you living to proclaim that truth to? Who are we called to be in the future? Now, this is easy and tricky to get presumptuous to say, what will be in the future, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't assume to know all that we will be, but I do know God has asked me to do what we first did all those years ago. When our church was going through transition and vision and mission back then, we prayed. Today, today we pray. That is the word and that is my ask. Sisters and brothers, we must pray. Pray that what we'll be becoming is what God has called us to be. Amen? Nine years ago when I came to this church, I was young, girl. I was black, still black. I loved Jesus, but I didn't love his church. In fact, I would probably do something very harmful to my younger self if you told me that I'd be sitting up here and saying Harrisburg is my home, because I was a Philly boy. See, with my youth, I had this idealism of what the church should be. You know, from my Messiah college days to my early 20s, I probably could have triple major in critiquing what the church isn't and what the church should be. I had this idealism I couldn't let go of. And I was black. And believe it or not, black people in America are very resilient. So the fact that the system is against us and is never for us didn't really dawn upon me like it's something new. But the fact... That Christians who knew me, who were my sisters and brothers, said some of and did some of the most violent racist things to me, broke my heart because I not only knew it broke God's heart, it made me think I will never, ever be truly a member of any church because as long as there's white people there, I don't trust them. Then I moved to Philadelphia. I came to Harrisburg, and I remember talking to this lady who the Lord knew would be my wife. I remember I was feeling myself. I was in my blackness that night. I was feeling myself. I remember telling her all the things the church should be, all the things the church is not, all the things that we, the young generation, need the church to do. And I remember her looking at me and saying, you know, that's interesting. You're Mr. Reconciler, but you don't seem to have a healthy you know, relationship with white people. I was like, well, it's because they're racist. <laughs> and then she said... But if you're called to be a reconciler, like, how do you bridge that gap? Because you don't even seem like you want to have friends with these people. You know, like, what if God wants you to marry one of them? I was like, oh, that's crazy. (laughs) And the great irony of that is not only did Shel and I get married, is she's the one who brought me to this church. You know, a lot of people think it's all about me, and we know it's not. But my wife, one of the most proud things in my life is that she loved this church before I ever did. And I remember when she brought me here the first Sunday, we were talking about these racial reconciliation classes. And I remember looking over, I was like, I knew you were crazy. But you tell me all these white people are going to have a class where we're allowed to tell them all the wrong things they've done to black people, and we're still going to love each other? These people are crazy. But we took that class. And what I've learned in this church is that my idealism of what I thought the church should be? I'm not saying we're perfect, but my idealism of what I thought the church should be, I found it here. What I love about this church is that what I thought we should be doing as a nation, as God people, as people who look at restoration and reconciliation as the heart of God, bridging this gap in an America that continues to define us by our skin color, in an America that continues to define us by all the differences, in America that continues to say, you don't belong here or I don't want you here. This church tries to be a home and a hospital. We try to say everyone gets to come in. And everyone needs a little bit of healing whether you're a black idealist or a white farm girl from Mennonite area. <laughs> and lastly, what I love about this church is that we love our city. We love our region. There's so many people, I look in this audience right now, who don't just live in the area, but they're investing in this area. And when I think about where we're going, when I think about God calling us to be reconcilers, I get excited, and I hope you're excited. Because the work is only just beginning. Because this nation still needs us. Because we need to stop complaining about the light not being shined brightly enough and turn it up a little bit. And turn it up a little bit and shine it a little bit brighter and look at the darkness in the face of the darkness and say, we're going to win this thing in the end because we're going to start winning now. We're going to end our service this morning with communion. And usually when we talk about communion, for some of us, if we're honest, it's an escape sometimes. It's a reminder of the world to come, of the feast we will one day have with Jesus. It's a reminder of what Jesus did and what it means for us. But this morning, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, be reminded that what Jesus did, what Jesus does, what Jesus will do is so that all of us can be reconciled to God and each other. Jesus died for us all. But Jesus died so that we can not just know that we're the body of Christ, so that we can feel it, so that we can touch it, so that we can wrap our arms around it, so that we can see it, so that we can be, so that we can be, so that we can be the body of Christ. And I don't say that lightly, because in our history, in America, in the world, we have never done it. I don't imagine this is going to be easy. You know it's not going to be easy. That's why I'm not on Facebook. (laughs) But I am saying the work is only beginning. And sisters and brothers, with the Spirit's help empowering us, With Christ is the one we're looking to. And with God, our Father, who's laid out this vision, we're going to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to this table, not because...
2: Please read Matthew 22, verses 36 to
3: 40. All right.
2: I'll take it. It's right there.
3: We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because you in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you, this morning, we're taking communion up front. We ask that it's not about whether or not you're a member of this church, but we do follow scripture and ask that you be a member of Christ's church. If you believe in Jesus, come to the table with us.
2: Also, we ask from each section that you come... You go out the right side and come and partake of the elements in front of your section and return to the left. And again, in in, uh, the uh, bread, we have gluten free bread for anyone that is allergic to gluten. And now we are going to do our responsive reading. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Pastor Hank will now lead us in prayer for preparation for the communion.
3: Lord God, thank you for the cup. Thank you for the bread. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood, which you freely, which you willingly, which you lovingly lay down to restore us back to God and also each other. As we take it, let us be filled and continue to be filled with love for you and love for one another. In your holy and precious name, amen. I can't. Quick announcements for I pray. Um, we have adult uh, membership classes this week in the backseat room where we met last week. So if you're here last week, please check that out. And also this afternoon from three to five here at the church, women are having a card making party. So please come to that. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are indeed our strength, our shield. You're the God who reconciles us back to you, but also to each other. So Lord, we pray now that we are willing to take up your mantle that what is known in your heart can be revealed to us, that we are willing to be a people who are going to say that we are indeed members of one another, that we are indeed the body of Christ, that we are indeed one in Christ, working for that reconciliation, living for that reconciliation, and working to make on earth as it is in heaven your kingdom come and your will be done. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you all.